Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. So in Matthew chapter 15, verse 3, I got some set-up verses. That's what I call set-up. It gets your spirit man ready for what's coming. But we're going to be talking about the keys of the kingdom. I'm just going to be, you know, no fancy title tonight. I want you to know exactly where we're going. We're going to be talking about the keys of the kingdom, all right? And um, this kingdom is a big deal that we're in. And the Bible's full of the kingdom of God, all right? Maybe we'll run through it a little bit. But Matthew chapter 15, verse 3, before we do, the New American Standard says it this way, and he answered and said to them, now Jesus is talking to religious people. These are Pharisees. These are people who have access to the word of God, uh, known as the law or the writings of Moses and prophets, okay? And, um, but what they've done is they've taken those words and they've fit them in their personal lives. So instead of having that word change the way they live and respond, they change the word to accommodate how they're living. And that's different. That's called religion. So when you have access to God's way of doing it, but then you basically tell God, well, but I don't want to do it that way, so I'm going to say that you're saying I can do it this way. So he says, why do you, uh, Jesus answered and said to them, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So, you know, when I was introduced to the kingdom in the life that we're talking about it now, um, there were traditions. I grew up in a denominational church. I was raised Southern Baptist, okay? And um, nothing wrong with the Baptist church. I'm not here to say that there is. I'm just saying that every denomination, or non-denomination for that matter, uh, should be a Bible-believing congregation. But the reality is not all congregations are teaching everything within the context of Scripture. Can we just be honest? You know, instead of us, you know, trying to skate around these things and be politically correct in church, why don't we just go ahead and say things for what they are, and let's just say, okay, what do you know concerning Scripture? And you know what? Paul had to deal with this himself in his writings. He had to deal with individuals that had learned only so much. He was always trying to bring them. Jesus obviously was dealing with this, saying, okay, you've learned up to this point, but I got some more things. In fact, he told his disciples in John chapter 16, he said, there's many more things I'd love to say to you, but you're not able to bear them. Okay, so the reality is, is we didn't even know God, cut off from God, had our own thinking, our own way of doing things. And the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end lies death. Then we realize we need a savior. We need to be born again, right? But most of us only got born again so we can go to heaven when we die. Instead of realizing I didn't know how to do anything, actually. And so maybe you could instruct me while I'm still in the planet. In fact, when Jesus started to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that word repent actually isn't a religious word at all. It means change your thinking. So he's saying, as long as you think like this, you're never going to find me. And again, none of us, we were all lost, dead in our trespasses and sin, were thinking we could please God by doing good works, this, that, and the other, you know. Surely God wouldn't put me in hell as much as I've done for somebody. But it's not of any works, good works, lest any man should boast. You can't do it on your own. You have to realize only God can change me. I can't impress God. Everything I did outside of Christ was filthy rags. Paul himself said, my life before Christ 
everything I did, and he was trying to follow God. I had this revelation one day on the, uh, when reading the road to Damascus. I realized Paul never changed gods. He didn't change gods. He was still following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one whom Moses wrote about. But his revelation of God changed. That's what changed. His revelation of God changed. Because even Paul himself was looking for a king. He missed the suffering servant. He didn't realize Jesus is the king at the time. Now he knows he's the king. Hallelujah. So we just need to be honest and say, do I have a tradition that came into my life? So again, when people come to me and say, Pastor Earl, you know, what kind of church is Anchor Faith Church? You know, they want me to throw the non-denominational or some kind of name on it. You know, but I just refuse to get in boxes. And I say, well, we believe the Bible. Now I've gotten to a point where I'm just like, well, what church do you go to, right? Well, I go down to a Baptist church. You know, we believe everything the Baptist believes in truth. It's good. If it's truth in the Word and the Baptist, I believe that. No problem. But have you ever just in the natural thought something, you knew something, but you didn't realize all that you could know about something? There was like way more to know. I mean, I discovered this one, my vehicles. Right? I mean, I don't sit down and read the owner's manual, although probably should, right? I mean, it's, I'm ignorant because I want to be. And, I, and most believers are that way too. But I buy the vehicle. I purchase it, right? And then at the end of the day, I don't know how it all works. And sometimes I stumble across. I remember my wife had this uh, Cadillac back in the day. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, we were driving it, and I went to do something down in the center console, and all of a sudden, I hit, a, I hit what I thought was just the console. I didn't realize it was a button. It had this little V, and I thought it was designed. But when I hit it, a whole secret compartment opened up. I was like, are you serious right now? You mean this has been here the whole time? Right? And that's how the Word of God should be to us. I mean, we should never get to this complacency that we don't want to discover something new, man. That we don't want to get steeped in a tradition that all of a sudden we're like, what I thought I knew about God really isn't all that I thought I knew. And now maybe I need to change that. Because, you know, most of us are, uh, unfortunately, you know, have some pride residual when we get into the kingdom of God. Uh, we really don't want to look dumb or stupid. And um, so a lot of times people will say, hey, what about this? And we'll answer it without knowing. Um, so, you know, just, I just like to be honest and say, if someone asks me about the Bible, it's like, you know, I've never studied that. I don't know. You know, uh, I would much rather give that answer than to explain something away or say something that's truth is, is a lie. Right? Well, my church has never preached on that. Well, maybe we got to figure it out then. Right? I mean, we know some denominations just stay away from subjects. In entirety. Okay, fine. No problem. I understand that. If you want to go deeper, though, you're going to have to get there. And for Anchor Faith Churches, we're not going to be a preschool church. Just not going to do it. Now, we can teach preschoolers. Right? I mean, you can't even get in the kingdom unless you're born again. But once you're born again, then we're going to grow you up. We're not teaching some preschool. We have a preschool, but if they get on through our private school, Washington, eventually calculus is going to manifest. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? But how many people sit in congregations that just want elementary teaching? And the Bible talks about elementary teaching. Elementary principles, we want to press on. So the point is, is that you could have a tradition and miss God. So at the end of the day, it's not that I or anyone else is trying to make you think you don't know what you know, but it, we all should be at a place that challenge me to make sure and reaffirm, strengthen, or show me something I didn't know that makes things clear so that I can operate in this life called God most effectively while I'm here on the earth. Okay? With that being said, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says this, While we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. So we already have a problem because we tend to live by sight. We definitely did this before we were born again. And we made our decisions on what we thought were right based upon what we saw or felt or what we heard. It was from our senses. It was based upon the collection of information that we had and the knowledge that we had and the experiences that we had. Right, wrong, or indifferent. Okay? Once you get into the kingdom of God, you begin to realize I'm living, for some, living in something I can't see more real than what I am seeing. Because, you know, even in the seen world we can see every day, there are things about this world that is temporary. You know what's temporary? Sin. Sin is temporary because there will come a day, a, a day when judgment hits, the last time the devil himself, Satan, will be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death, the beast, the false prophet, and all who do not call on his name will be thrown into the lake of fire, which is actually the prison system of the kingdom. They'll be eternally separated, and no more from there on, when he creates a new heaven and a new earth, will there be this problem with thing called sin. I mean, can you imagine living in a world where there is no sin? You need to get an imagination. It's coming. And man today in all of his efforts in his governments, whether it's democracy, whether it's dictatorship, whether it's communism, whether it's socialism, whether it's, you know, uh, to, um, totalitarian, whatever, you know what I'm saying. All those, they're just a man's attempt to try to access God's kingdom without him. To have this utopia where we all just get along and accept each other for who we are. Right? Well, there's only one species of being that'll do that, those that are born of Christ. Hallelujah. So we've got to learn to focus on unseen things because it's very important. Now, look what it says in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Now, this is the New Living Translation. It says it this way. One day, the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. Now, that doesn't mean it's not visibly somewhere. I mean, how many of you believe that heaven is actually a visible place somewhere? I mean, heaven exists. I mean, anybody had a, a loved one that's gone on to be with the Lord? Well, where's the Lord at? He's in heaven, right? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So do you think that they're seeing something or they're seeing nothing? Obviously, they're seeing something. So when we talk about unseen, it just means it's unseen to us right now, but it is somewhere visibly able to be seen. Jesus is saying, now, what you're looking for is like man's kingdom, where you see the castle, the fort, you know, the king sitting on the throne. You're looking for this natural thing. And what I'm telling you is this kingdom can't be detected by visible signs currently. 
okay? He goes on and says it this way. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. And I love that because what he's saying is this, the, the impact of my kingdom realm is already in existence in an unseen place. And that's tangible unseen place, meaning you can touch it. That's why when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's saying it's within your reach. You can grasp it. You can pull it into to where it operates uh, in your life today, although you are physically not present within that kingdom structure. Okay? So then in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, it says it this way. It says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen what? Come on, help me out. Chosen what? Gladly to give you what? So he's not withholding it. So you got to get rid of this thought process that he's withholding heaven's realm from you until you die. He's not withholding. In fact, you can access it right now. You can access it. And I'm going to show you here in a minute through some illustrations that we access a lot of things that we don't see even now in the natural. Okay. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Since we are receiving, New Living Translation, a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. Oh, hallelujah. So he's, number one, it's, he loves it. It's exciting to him. He's chosen gladly to give us this kingdom. And what is this kingdom? An unshakable kingdom. That means anything going on in the world today doesn't shake it. Doesn't shake it. It's unshakable. I don't care the economies of this world. I don't care about famines. I don't care about wars and rumors of wars. It doesn't matter to me because the kingdom I'm in is unshakable. It's unshakable. It's not moved by it. I said it's not moved by it. And when you understand each aspect of the kingdom and how to access it, then you'll, you'll be fearless even in this earth that has fallen. Hallelujah. Amen. And when I speak like this, I'm speaking humbly. This is humility talking. I'm going to prove it here. You got to stay with us for the next couple of days. Because a lot of us, we take humility as like we don't know nothing. Well, now you need to stay humble, brother. But if God gives you access to what he knows and then says, now say what I say, you're prideful if you don't. A lot of religion, a lot of religious churches out there that have taken humility and applied it to, brother, now we just don't know. We just can't even suspect. Well, the Bible is very clear. His ways are higher than our ways, but it doesn't say we can't find out. It's just saying, don't think that you know more than God. And don't uh, suspect that your ways are better than his way. But how many people believe their way is better than his way? Because the scripture very clearly says to a lot of young believers today that are single, do not fornicate, but they think their way of sleeping around a little bit's okay. If sin paid out immediately, we would do it less. Now, you know how sin pays, right? You know it's wage, right? The wage of sin is? Yep. Now, many be dead without doing nothing, 
right? Because we know it's an issue of the heart. Jesus said if you uh, even lust after a woman, you commit a sin of adultery, people will be dropping dead all the time. What happened to him? <laughs> I mean, you don't, I don't even want to, something happened, just thinking it, right? Jesus started dealing with the heart. I mean, we can't even get to an action. We're dead before we can get to the action if it paid out. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> ah, but the Lord's merciful. And we were talking in the back room. Mercy does not mean acceptance. Just because he's being merciful. And another attribute of God is long-suffering. So make no mistake, a lot of people are making God suffer as he watches them sin. And he's sending messengers and speaking to them himself by his spirit to try to get them to repent, change their thinking, change their behavior, abhor their sin, turn from that, and live a godly life. Amen? Y'all doing all right? Okay, so we've got a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, you know this passage. Y'all been with us here, but there's probably some guests here. So, again, I, we don't want to assume that everybody knows this, but they bear repeating. Uh, let's look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. We know if you do your homework, that if you go through the four Gospels, you'll see that the only message Jesus preached publicly and when he initiated the public communication, he would say the kingdom of heaven is like or the kingdom of God is like. He was a kingdom guy. Very first message he ever speaks of is in Matt, recorded in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's in your midst. It's right here. It's obtainable. You can grab hold of it. Okay. And then, I mean, the majority of his parables, the kingdom of heaven was like this. So he's always talking about this thing called the kingdom. He even says, seek first. He doesn't say, seek first me. Okay. He doesn't say, seek first me. He says, seek first the kingdom. Now, that doesn't exclude Jesus. Because kingdom, by all rights, is king's dominion. So again, if you're going to seek the kingdom, then you're going to seek the king of the kingdom. His name's Jesus. But Jesus isn't king on a power trip. He actually governs, he governs or he has authority over a realm. And when you get the word of the king, then you get power. According to uh, Ecclesiastes 8.4. But we see here in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, For a child will be born to us. Now, who is this child? Who is this child? A son will be given to us. Now, notice the son's not born. Because the Son always existed. Right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became what? Flesh. Well, what's His name? So Jesus is the Son of God. So in the beginning, it said, God said, let us make man. Let us, not let me by myself. No, let us. Who is us? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I was dealing with one of my staff this past week because we were talking about children, right? And, you know, so there's like this conversation about middle children, right? The middle child, the middle child, you know, like the middle child's got this problem, right? And I'm a middle child myself. So I said, Jesus has eternally been a middle child. <laughs> now, he was the firstborn. I said, he was firstborn. I was the firstborn son, but I'm still a middle child. I said he's eternally been Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's in the middle. So y'all quit picking on these middle children. You got a problem with Jesus now. <laughs> so, but a child's born, a son is given. Now, why is the child born? Because legal entrance into the earth is through the flesh. 
God said, let us make man, Genesis 126, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion, dominion, rule. Let them reign, one translation says. So what was man supposed to do from the beginning? Reign. They were to rule. They were not to die and go to heaven. Because we know that God says to Adam, let them rule, have dominion over the fish, the sea, birds of the sky, over all the cattle, over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth, over all the earth. So he made both male and female. Both male and female had dominion, which means they co-labored together in and reigned on the earth. They would hear God as he would walk through the cool of the day, give instruction, and they would follow that instruction, and they would communicate, and they would operate in this realm like he operates in his realm. And then he says, now, Adam, you can eat of any tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day you eat, you will surely die. So if Adam had never eaten the fruit, where would he be today? And that shakes a lot of religious fruit because, you know, we are in a world that's fallen. I'm not saying that. And I know if I leave my body right now, if I dropped out my spirit man and my soul dropped out of my body and my body fell to this uh, stage, then all of a sudden I'd be present with the Lord. I understand that. That's where he is currently residing. But you know he's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. Um, he came once just to redeem us. He can't, he'll come again to call us up. Then he'll come back with us with his saints, and he'll rule and reign for a, a, a thousand years right here on the same planet we're leaving. I said this, I think, last time we were here. The catching away of the church, or what we call the rapture, right? Because people, you know, religious people get all upset. You know, they're like, rapture, not in the church. It's the catching away then. Fine. It's just, it's just a word that's used to describe catching the church away and all believe that it's seven years right seven year period so our current president okay was elected whether you want to believe that or not i understand my point is he's in office not here to have this debate i'm here to communicate with you that if we had been taken away in 2021 then in seven years when we come back to the Lord, if he got a second term, he could still be president in this nation. Think about that for a moment. See, we have this, because again, if we don't watch out, we just, we have no concept of kingdom. All we want to do is just not be guilty of our sin and go to heaven when we die. So in, in turn, we're not making this massive impact on planet Earth as God always designed his children to. See, salvation is not about going to heaven. Salvation is about becoming a son of God. And I'm a son of God now, right now. I mean, I would have to conclude God, God the Father is the worst dad on the planet if he abandoned me once I was born again. But Jesus told me that he would not. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. In essence, I'm not going to let the devil raise you. By all rights, you're born again. So basically what we're propagating as religion is that God the Father is having a bunch of kids and then leaving them. And letting the devil raise them while they're down here. And they're supposed to maintain a good relationship with him, although he's really disconnected. Because at the end, you know, at least when you die, you get to see me. 
And sometimes he helps you out, sometimes he doesn't. Like, you know, one of those fathers, that father or kid, they're gone, then they show up all of a sudden, and they want to see their child, and then they'll pay a few things for them. I mean, you understand, some kids have the same testimony that Christians have about the father. Well, he may show up, he may not. He may do this for me, he may not. You know, whatever he desires to do. And then all of a sudden, if we put that on a natural dad and say, well, you know what, I know my dad loves me because, you know, he does what he thinks best for me. You're like, he's a deadbeat. He's left you. He's not taking responsibility. He doesn't pay the bills all the time. He doesn't help out. Where he just shows up every once in a while and wants to take you on a little spinning spree and do and say he'll take care of you. And then he's gone again. And you never hear from him. But yet in Christianity, we're acting like that's God the Father. No, God the Father's like, I'm going to move in. I'm moving in. Why am I moving in? Because I'm going to put a new spirit in you, and then I'm going to put the third person of the Godhead called the Holy Ghost. He's going to come in and bear witness with your spirit, and he's going to let you know you're my child, and he's going to talk to you every day, and I'm going to be talking to you every day through my spirit. I'm going to have a conversation. I'm going to have intimacy with you. I'll provide for you. I'll care for you. I will bring all of heaven's resources to you. And the only reason why we don't have that dad is because we don't want to know that dad. child is born a son is given so legal entrance is through the flesh the son's always been here but he has to come as a child because adam falls from dominion adam did not fall from heaven adam did not lose a religion he lost access to the kingdom of god he lost his rulership and so god the father comes down says what have you done he blames god he blames god now he talks about his wife but he's blaming god he said that's the wife you gave me like God picked the wrong person for him. She was tailor-made for Came out of you, actually. So shut up, right? Okay. So, I mean, I couldn't have made her more perfect. She's of you. I mean, that's how perfect she is. Okay. So he goes to her. She tells him the truth, says, I was deceived. You know, and I ate it. Okay, so he goes to the one that brought the deception. And he said, I'm going to bring my seed. Through this, through a woman, I'm gonna bring my seed through a woman, because legal access to get the get back what you've taken, what you have access to, what you're operating in, I'm gonna have to come as a guy, as a man. So I'm gonna send a child. Now look what Isaiah tells us: this child will bring. It says, and the government will rest on his shoulders. So Jesus Christ came to bring a government. You have to just eliminate religion out of your mind. Now, I understand religion by definition is a belief system, and you will have a belief system in the kingdom. Don't get me wrong. I get that. But everybody has a belief system. Even atheists have a belief system. Okay? So when we say he's not bringing a religion, we, what we want you to understand more so is that he is bringing a literal government that you can have faith in, unlike our current one or anyone on the planet. And there was never a time in the United States you could have faith in your government. Okay, can I just say that? Because man's corrupt at this point, and I don't care who's in power. The reality is there were plenty of people from the inception of this nation and any other nation that had wrong motives because we have all fallen and fallen short of the glory of God, and we're sinners, okay? That's just part of it, okay? But the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or peace on the throne of David, thrones or in kingdoms, not religion. 
and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Okay? So he's bringing a government. He's bringing a government that's going to be on a throne. Um, and this government's going to rest on his shoulders, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Isaiah, same prophet, in chapter 22, verse 22, says this. Then I will set the key. All right? Then I will set the key of the house of David on his, here we go again, when he opens, no one will shut. And when he shuts, no one will open. This key is pretty powerful, right? This key is pretty powerful. In fact, we call this the master key. The best way I could describe this key is that if you had a key box, now you know what a key box is, right? It's a box that houses keys. But what do you usually have on the outside of your key box? A lock that that key accesses every other key. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So the child that was born, the son that was given, we know he's called the Christ, which is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah. And both of those words only leave one picture in the mind of the readers of its days. And that is the king who will come and establish his kingdom forever. Because even though by definition it means the anointed one and his anointing, but you remember when God was rejected as king in the uh, book of 1 Samuel chapter 8, that they, the whole nation comes to the prophet Samuel and says, listen, it's in Samuel. The, the, the whole nation comes to him and says, we want a king we can see. We want a king we can see. And they're like, he's like, no, you don't. You don't want this. He said, yeah, we want a king we can see. So he goes to the Lord and said, Lord, they're asking for a king they can see. He said, Samuel, you give the people what they want, for they've not rejected you, but they've rejected me as their king. So what did he do? He found a guy that they were thinking of. That's his name was Saul. Height, stature, looked like a guy, looked like the king. You know, that's their imagination of what a king would look like, because obviously it looked like you know, ones they had seen. Specifically, you know, there were giants that they had encountered themselves. So what did he do to help? He anointed him with oil. And that anointing changed Saul. All of a sudden, he could tap into the voice of God. He could actually begin to prophesy. In fact, he was started to be known as the prophet. He had access to something he had never had before. And as God said, I'm going to try to work with you, guy. But we know... That the guy failed. Now, he could, he could have not failed. I mean, he gave him the same instruction and then put an anointing on him that would allow him to do that. He said, just do what I say, obey me. But we know he failed to obey. He was more concerned about the accolades of men. And as a result of that, God took the anointing and went and found a man after his own heart. Well, did he anoint that one? He sure did. Samuel went and found him and anointed him with oil. Right? And so there's a, a, an effect. When did Jesus get his anointing? Well, you'll see this in Matthew chapter 3 at the end of it. All of a sudden, he comes up out of the Jordan River. Because oil in the Bible represents the Holy Ghost. So here, Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. That when does the heaven opened up? And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God descended upon him. See, that's the anointing. Sended upon him without measure. And the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So when Samuel declared him king, 
when he anointed Saul and David with the oil, he made a declaration, this is the king of Israel. God the Father in heaven said, this is my beloved son. In essence, this is the king. And I've anointed him. Well, was he anointed? What did Jesus say in um, uh, where is it? Luke chapter 4, verse uh, 16 or 18? The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has, he's anointed me. So when we see Christ or Messiah, we're talking about a king that has a kingdom. And he's here to reestablish dominion to man. So when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, he became our substitute so that we could call on the name of the Lord, which is not a religious word. It means supreme in authority. It's his title. It's a title. Lord is title. I said Lord is title. You know Earl's title. In some places, an Earl, a Duke. Right? A Lord. So Earl is title. <laughs> it don't mean a whole lot if you're stuck in the world. I want to be known in Christ. <laughs> That's the that title I want, in Christ. But Jesus received title, okay? And he is the king eternal, forever. All right? So, but there's a key. Isaiah tells us that is of the house of David. And when he, uh, when he opens, no one will shut. And when he shuts, no one will open. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. Now, the church of Philadelphia obviously has some good accolades. They were doing a great job, all right, when the head of the church came through and examined the seven churches of Revelation, all right? Some of them were doing a great job. He talked about what they were doing good. Some of them he had problems with, and he says, you need to get yourself together, right? One of them he said, if you don't get it together, I'm going to throw up, right? I'm telling you, there are some places today that if Jesus showed up, he'd be throwing up in service. He'd throw up in service. All right, you want to know what lukewarm looks like? It's called compromise with the world. All right, it's compromise with the world. Now, real quick, let's just get a little perspective here because nobody has a problem that Jesus is the key. He is the master key, right? Okay, nobody has a problem with that. But notice where the key is set. This is very important because you have to understand too often in our tradition. We are saying that if something doesn't happen, it's because of Jesus. If something happens, it's because of Jesus. And that's partly right. It's a half-truth. You know what a half-truth is. That means that's part, no, it's not a lie. It, I understand. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> Traditionally speaking, that's what we say. <laughs> but there can be a half-truth, meaning that's half-truth. There's still more to go with it to finish out the equation, okay? So let me put it this way. Three plus one equals four, okay? Three plus something equals four. So that's three plus X. I just got an algebra, pre-algebra with you. Three plus X equals four. We're gonna solve for X. Now, we know X is one. Three is constant in the equation, and so is the answer, it's constant. So it's like Jesus, Jesus is three, right? He's constant, and he gets a constant answer. But in the equation, sometimes it requires something else. So when I look at 3 plus x equals 4, that's truth, 
but it doesn't tell us all of it yet. In essence, we could say it's a half-truth because we really need to know what X is. And so when we say, if Jesus, Jesus is either doing it or he's not doing it, right? That's a half-truth because there's some place that the key is set that cooperates with Jesus when it comes to earthly things. So what's it say in Isaiah 22? He says, then I will set the key of the house of David on his, on his shoulders. We read in Isaiah 9, 6 that the government will rest on his. Now, where are the shoulders located on you? We call it the body, right? Because this is the head. The rest is the, who's the head of the church? And we are the body of, so the key is set in the church, which tells us if something's going to happen down here, Jesus gave us the master key, and the master key is we became in Christ. The minute you got born again, you got in Christ, and he gave you, in essence, let me just pull this out, the master key. Now, this thing opens up the box. In essence, you possess it now. Jesus doesn't possess it. You possess it. He gave it to you. So at the end of the day, if there was a box up here, which there's a box over there. What is that box? Is that like a tithe box or something over there? Okay, there's a key. And that key accesses provision. That's <laughs> what that's doing, right? Which tells us whoever has that key has access. Right? And so now if Pastor Mark gave me the key and said, Now, Pastor Earl, everything that gets given tonight is yours. Oh, I'm going to preach now. Pastor, everything that, that they give in that box is yours tonight. And if I go home with my wife and I say, you know, we didn't get Jack from Pastor Mark. Oh, there you go. Pastor, I gave you the key. If you, It's your responsibility to go. He already authorized me. He gave me the key. I just chose to walk past the box. How many people are like, Jesus, will you? And he's like, I gave you the key. I gave you the key. And all we want out of Jesus, you know the only key we want from Jesus? I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. Give me the key that locks hell from being the place I go. And that's the only key we want. Just say amen anyway. Hallelujah. So again, if the key is set in the church, then when he says who the one who uh, who opens, no one will shut and who shuts, no one will open. That means we have a lot of responsibility about what's going on. And we're saying, well, I guess the Lord didn't want. Well, do you have the key? <laughs> OK, let's go to Matthew chapter uh, 16. Matthew 16, and we'll look at verse 19. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and go up a little bit higher, uh, a few verses before. Let's just go ahead and read it in context so you understand where we're coming from. We'll, start, we'll go back, actually, to verse 16, okay? And uh, so Matthew 16, 16. I'm going to read out of two translations for you, okay? Uh, and let me just say this about translations, because I know there's something going around about a translation right now. Uh, if you center in on one translation, you got a problem already. Um, you, 
you should you should look at a lot of different translations at the end of the day, okay? Number one, you need to understand this. You have the spirit of truth on the inside of you, okay? Number one. Number two, God is obligated. He has an obligation by right of judgment to be able to have his infallible word in the earth. If he cannot maintain the infallibility of his word being known, he cannot rightly judge humanity. Cannot do it. Cannot do it. So when he talks about the infallible word and how the Holy Ghost, because you understand this, I don't care what translation you read, and I don't care whether it's a paraphrase, whether they say it's to the original Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, doesn't matter. You need the Holy Ghost who was actually there with the author who penned it. Because by all rights, God had a ghostwriter. Right? He didn't pen one thing. He spoke it to someone and they penned it. And it was not of their own interpretation. I write books that I don't personally write. They, I, I speak these things. I meet with those. And they write those down. I go back and say, that's not what I meant. So if you read it, the Lord can say, that's not what I meant. So don't get all hopped up on, oh, I, what if I read the wrong way? You got the Holy Ghost. Trust the teacher on the inside. Just like you should t- trust the teacher when you sit up underneath anybody preaching. As I say to our congregation all the time, you're not obligated to believe anything I say just because I say it. You should search the scripture out for yourself to see if it's so, period. At the end of the day, that's what you should do. Y'all doing all right? Hallelujah. So, he says this in Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answered. Now, he's asked the question, who do people say that I am, right? Some say they were prophets, and then finally he's like, Peter, who do you say? He says, you are the Christ. Now, we already know what Christ is. Christ is the king. That's what he's saying. You're the king the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So heaven spoke to Simon without Simon being in heaven. The unseen realm can speak into the seen realm. And the seen realm can accurately hear from heaven. Okay? So don't quit, quit saying And I just don't know what God wants me to do. Start getting in faith. Lord, you're going to tell me what to do. Because I can hear from heaven. I can hear from heaven. Because as long as you begin to continue to say, I can't hear, I don't know what God wants. I don't know what God wants. I don't want the devil to be good to keep you with roadblock. But more importantly, you're locking heaven off because you're not giving heaven access through your words. All right? He goes on and then says in verse 18, and I, say, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Okay? Now, uh, we have to clean that up because, you know, there's a whole denomination right now that literally built a building on Peter's bones, thinking that they are now the church. And Jesus is not talking about building the church on Peter at all. He's saying upon the revelation that I'm the Christ, I'll build my church. So the revelation Jesus is building his church on is the kingdom. The kingdom. In fact, Matthew 24, 14 says, until this gospel of the kingdom is preached as a testimony to all the world, then the end will come. So we need to make sure our gospel's right. 
Because the good news is not Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave. That is good news, but it's not the good news. The good news is that the kingdom is here. And to get into the kingdom, you must be born again. And how do you get born again? Because Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave, paid the price for your transgression, for your rebellion to the crown. You were treasonous. Right? You could say it this way. You were all terrorists to the kingdom of God. Because is the world not trying to destroy God? Destroy the thoughts of him? Destroy by, I mean, governments are trying to destroy put it out. Don't want nothing to do with him. But it's futile. It's futile. Because Daniel let us know that this kingdom's going to come. He said, man, there's going to be a rock made without hands, and it's going to crush all those other kingdoms, and then it's going to turn into a great mountain and take, take over the whole world. Glory to God. You've been given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You're in the government that will stand for eternity. And good news is we don't have to suffer another election. He wasn't voted in. He can't be voted out. He earned it by right of obedience. Woo, glory to God. So it's upon the revelation that Jesus is the Christ that he builds his church. Verse 19, he says, and I will give you, give what? He said, I'll give you. Now you think he's talking to Peter alone, but he's not talking to Peter alone. He's talking to the church. Because the key is on the shoulder. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. I love this translation because other translations says, says it this way. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. You're not going to bind something on earth until you get directive from heaven. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. That's why this translation is really good. Because if I bind anything on earth, it's because I heard from heaven to bind it. So in heaven's realm, it's settled. Say this, because my word will not return unto me, boy, but it shall accomplish what it was sent to do. So what I said here, you say it down there, then it's going to come to pass because the king has said it. So whatever I loose on earth is because the, the king's already declared loose it. Are you hearing me? Now, the Passion Translation says it this way. In Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter spoke and said, You are the anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are favored and privileged, Simon, son of Jonah, you, for you didn't discover this on your own, but my Father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. I give you the name Peter, a stone, and this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I build my church, that is, my legislative assembly. Remember, you're an ambassador for Christ. In essence, the church is in the legislative assembly. It is the embassy of God's kingdom on this earth. We're not of this world. We're in a territory that he has not set completely right in the natural, but will. Until then, he has us as his representatives. Are you hearing me? And you understand when you say things, it happens. See, what we got to do is we, quite, we need to quit waiting on President Biden to decide what he wants to do about Russia or China. What you need to do is talk to the king in heaven and say, what do you want us to do about Russia and China? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hallelujah. 
You understand there are sanctions that God will do from heaven on territory. Glory to God. Y'all doing all right? I mean, it's really not that deep, guys. It's just shocking that you actually have so much power. And you're not willing it, wielding it on your own initiative. Remember, you're an ambassador. Ambassadors only say what the ruler of the nation they represent says. They have no opinion in the matter. So you're of a holy nation. You're a holy nation. The Bible calls us a holy nation. So we're a nation. We're peculiar people. We're a holy nation who has a holy God that speaks to his children. And he'll say, say this. Hallelujah. So my legislative assembly, the power of death will not be able to overpower it. I mean, what can death do to me? Nothing. Has no sting. Nothing. I mean, what can all the world trying to come against the church do to me? Nothing. Why? Because no weapon formed against the church can prosper. Can't kill it. Can't shut it down. Can't stop it. Uh, the only way the church isn't here is because Jesus says, come on up. So quit worrying about whether the government can shut us down. They cannot. Because even an underground church will assemble. Oh, my gosh. Hallelujah. He goes on and says, uh, the Passion Translation, I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. Boy, isn't that good news? Notice now he said he'll give you the keys of, not the keys to. And in this passage of scripture, he says, I'll give you the keys. Now, before we just said there's a key. But now he tells Peter in talking to the church that's built on the revelation that he's the king. The minute you take, get the master key. It gives you access to other keys. And not all keys fit every lock. And this is the problem with the church is they're trying to take the master key that's contained within the master box that gives you access to everything else available in the kingdom. And they're trying to put that in the other locks, but he gave you access to the key that actually gets in that lock. What good is it to have a key if you don't know what lock? It's irrelevant. So you need to know. And why do we have keys anyway? Now, our first thought is to unlock, but that's not why we have keys. Keys are to actually lock, because if we were unlocking, then we wouldn't need a key if everything was unlocked. There's no reason to have a key. So keys were designed to lock. And so what happened when Adam fell from dominion, God had to lock heaven. That access of authority, dominion, all that comes with being in rulership, is locked up, but he will give access to those who will call upon his name, who will do his bidding, who obey him at his word. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? So now he's saying now not everybody on planet Earth has access because not all of them are children of God. But those who are called by his name, those who will serve him, those who will seek his way, seek his kingdom first, then they'll begin to access keys. And these keys will lock things down that you opened up in the first place. So keys were designed for the purpose to lock, but it also can unlock that which it locks. Keys allow only authorized people to open things locked. <laughs> but you need to understand this. Anyone on planet Earth can take a key. It's another thing entirely to know which key opens or which lock the key opens. Now, why do I say this? Because religion will mess with your keys. Look what it says in Luke eleven fifty two. Setting a good foundation for tonight, and we'll run really hard tomorrow night. It says, woe to you lawyers. All right, Luke eleven fifty two. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hinder those who were entering. Okay? Matthew 23, 13 says this, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. These are people who have access to the word of God. Hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourself, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. So what he's saying is don't give religion your keys of the kingdom. Don't do it. Because religion will keep you from accessing. It'll keep you from accessing. The minute you surrender a key, now you're at the mercy of the person who has the key to let you in. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, y'all hearing what I'm saying? You hear what I'm saying? Okay, so here are seven characteristics of keys, all right? I'm going to give you these, and then we'll probably start shutting down. I'll do a small illustration, then we'll come back tomorrow, okay? Because I believe there's some things God wants to unlock in your life. There's some things he wants you to lock up forever. Some of you need to lock up your flesh. <laughs> oh, Lord, get the devil from me. He said, here's the key. Binding. Well, the devil's running after me. Why are you talking to me? Do you have a key or not? If you get the key of how to have authority over the, the, the demonic realm, you won't have a problem. Lord, I wish you'd do something. He said, I did. It is finished. Now learn, get my keys. All right, seven characteristics of keys. Keys are by which the kingdom of God operates. You're not going to operate in the kingdom outside of keys. It's not going to happen. Okay. Oh, hallelujah. Keys, keys, keys. Keys are principles, they're code of conduct, they're comprehensive laws. Keys are laws, they are, they, they're rules enforced by the governing authority. Keys are systems, they're a network for distributing, distributing something. 
keys activate function. Now, what do I mean by that? I can take a key, let's say, you know, one of these keys are for that door. I could stick the key in the lock, the door. But unless I turn it, I mean, Jesus Christ can put the key in the lock for you and say, okay, just go. We have to turn it, and turning it is our faith. We activate it. All right? And if you notice that some keys, because of certain locks, they fit all of them. But what's inside won't let it trigger an opening. And many people are frustrated because they have keys that are fitting in things, but they're not exactly what it needs to be to open it. And then they blame God. When he's like, uh, keep coming. I mean, I got some right here. Literally the same shape and same shape, not necessarily the same color. Some of them are. These two, which are two totally different keys. But look at the bottom of them. They're shaped the same. But they function two different doors. I mean, I had a Mark One with a black line. So, you know, I wouldn't be flipping through all the time trying to figure out which one. And I, have you ever been there? Like, I know it's one of these keys. Right? That's why we need to not grow weary. Some of us leave the door and don't access because we got tired of going through the key ring. And the Bible is the key. It's got them all in it. Because the minute you made Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost came and moved on the inside of you and said, let pull out all these keys. Look, look how it is. Here's, here's a healing key. Here's a provision key. Here's a joy key. Here's a deliverance key. Ah, <laughs> oh, they're all there. Are you hearing me? Keys initiate action. It brings it about. And the last thing you need to understand about keys, keys cannot be substituted by feelings, emotions, wishful thinking, or manipulation. So you can't stand at a locked door and cry your way in. You know, I want to just do this, right? <laughs> right? I mean, give me your car keys, and I want to see you get in. Now, unless you have one look at that, but that's a key. I want you to just go to your locked car and cry. Get on your knees. Oh, oh please let me in. Oh, God, please let me in. Please. And we're doing this to God in prayer. You said, but I've cried out like that, didn't know, and God opened it. Somebody came by with a key and opened it for you. Because you didn't get it without somebody having a key. Oh, hallelujah. Are you hearing me? Okay, so keys, real quick illustration. Luke chapter 8, last scripture I'm going to show you tonight, and then we'll come back tomorrow. Uh, and he said, to you, it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, right? Mysteries, that means these are the keys that are going to allow us to access things. And we're going to talk about tomorrow, seven properties of keys, okay? So again, these are my keys, right? You got to understand something. Some of us, we've got to get, you got a tradition because you were raised, well, some of y'all were raised on a key that look, we called them a skeleton, <laughs> right? 
How many of you had a skeleton key when you grew up? Okay, thank you. I knew there was some in the house. It's all right. That's that long straight, and it's got a couple little things, you know, the skeleton key, right? You know, so when the key came out, it kind of first came out looking like that. Well, keys have evolved, right? And some of us won't grow in access because we want a skeleton key. Well, when I first came in, the skeleton key did it now, and I just want a skeleton key. Why can't we just go to that key? Then some of us were raised in the generation that we had these things, right? And we still have these things, actually, right? We have these things. But you know what? There's another key. Here's a key right here. This is the key to the hotel I'm staying at. Everybody has the same-looking key. Chase, do you have your key? All right, pull it out. Same key. But yet, I bet his will not open up my door because it doesn't have my number. So something in the unseen of this has the power to release. It releases a power from this to a lock that then allows me to access a handle. But you know what? If I put it and the green light even tells me it's open. Like, glory to God, Marcy, look, we got a sign. It's open. Right? But it doesn't mean anything if I don't turn the handle and go in push the door. This thing does not in the hotel, at least not the one I'm staying at, where I can hit it and the door opens and says, welcome, Lord Earl. <laughs> doesn't do it. Doesn't open by itself. But we're like wanting God to put the key there, to push the door open, like he is there to be our slave. Now, he'll serve us. He serves us, I understand, because he serves you with power. Hey, that's the key to your room. Now go access it. This is a key. Crazy looking little thing right here. It's just a barcode. But this thing accesses this little turn wheel at the gym that I work out at. I put it up underneath. I can't see these things jump off. I don't know how that little red light goes down there and says, this guy has access. Then all of a sudden, what's my sign that it's worked? The little th lever clicks over one. Little click. Now, if I don't, if I don't. If I don't do something, activate my faith, and go on, I could say, but it's still there. It moved a little bit, but, oh, I can't get in. No, it, it's there. It, it unlocked. It moved just enough to let you know, now push it on through. Because before, without this, I'd be like, break your leg. You're like, oh, my God, you know. But I, that thing moved. Next thing you know, I hit it with my leg, and it just rolls on over. I roll right in. Hallelujah. Amen. Then I put my keys in a combination lock that I get to set the number. Yeah, it's on green. I get to put what number I want. I throw it in there. I shut it, and then I turn it to red, which indicates it's locked, but only until I mess up the numbers. Then I mess up those numbers. Now I, in the gym, am the only one that has access. And though it doesn't look like one of these, it's a number that when I put my number in, and all of a sudden, see, I'm a double O by the government, just to let y'all know. I'll say nothing more than that. 
But it is a true statement. I am not lying. I am a double O. Okay. So with that being said, I'll put in my code. I can access it, get my keys out every time. Right? What I love about our technology today is it really reveals the kingdom more. Because this is to the Jeep that's outside right now, that I've got this little button that if I hit it twice, it will cause my vehicle to crank up. And that's beautiful on a cold morning. Because I'm from Florida. Anything below 60, we need to get the heater on. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Thank you. So I step out my garage door. Now, I'm not talking about the big door. I'm just talking about the one to the house. And I'll push that button twice without even seeing. My, it's unseen. Yet something leaves this in the unseen and is able to communicate to something that I don't even know where it's located on the vehicle. But it will cause this thing go beep, beep. My hormones will let me know, I got you. And then the vehicle cranks up. The lights turn on. I'm like, glory to God. Right? Then I go back in, get my coffee, pack a little few things up. It'll run about 10 minutes or so. I mean, I have ran it till it's just shut back off. It's like, oh, I guess he was lying. He ain't coming. We'll just, we'll conserve gas. And he shuts down on me. But I, I don't even see the stuff leave. But you yourself, you'll take your little key, that little unlock. And some of you don't even have to do this. You just all you got to do is have it in your pocket. You'll have it in your pocket. So something in the unseen, you will walk up to your vehicle. You'll grab that door full of faith. I mean, you're firmly persuaded because that thing is here or in your purse that that thing's going to activate. You'll grab it, open it up. If you went, you would be shocked, surprised, upset. You would yell at the, what's wrong with you? But yet when we get God's word and begin to say, Lord, and then all of a sudden we like, I'm not even sure. We, we like going to God and we got the key and we're like, oh, Jesus, please, please let the door open. Oh, please, God, let this door open. Oh, I want it to open up so bad. I just don't open it, please. Oh, it opened up. Oh, I'm so, like, we're shocked. Oh, God healed me. Oh, we're shocked. Oh, God got me that job. We're shocked. But we don't even treat our vehicle this way. We don't treat our house this way. We go with that thing with a firm persuasion. I got this. I got the key. This thing's going to activate. It's going to do. You sit in your vehicle. You push the button now. I mean, some of you got this. I know. And I, have no, I don't care how the key is as long as it functions and does what it was designed to do. We understand the word of God will function and do what it was designed to do in the church if the church will take the keys of the kingdom and they will bind and they will lose and they will activate. So you need to be, you need to get, be done with this religious thinking of all I need is Jesus so that when I die, I go to heaven, key. You need to get them all. Because I'm going to tell you, when you stand before the Lord one day, and you will, he's going to say, son, why, did, why didn't you get more keys? I'm serious, he'll do it. Because the Bible says that before you were born, all the days of your life were written in a book. 
And on the day of judgment, he's going to pull out the book he had for your life. What he saw that you could become. Then he'll pull the one you wrote. And he'll match them. To see did you live up to his. And rewards are associated with that. This ain't about access to heaven. This is rewards are associated. He's going to expect that you were going to grow. You were going to walk in your authority. You're going to, we're going to be without excuse in that moment. He said, like, son, I, I left your whole key box down there. And I gave you access through me. And so tomorrow night we're going to talk about these properties of keys, what they give us. I'm going to give you three scripture in each one. Let everything be confirmed by two or. And I'm giving you three. You'll get three. But there's even more than that. But then you'll see those keys, what you possess. Because every time Pastor Mark or anybody else that ministers from here on, some truth in the word, you can say, that's a key. So that's how I loose that. That's how I bond that. That's how I access that. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithboutaustin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.